Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 28. This morning we're going to get through the first 15 verses of Matthew 28, Lord willing. So if you take a look with me here at verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, the first day of the week began to dawn. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became, became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! So they came and they held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept, or while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this saying is com commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Well, Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you for the reality of the resurrection. And I would ask God that this morning that the preaching of your word would be done with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, God. For to hear these things, Lord, not mixed with faith and not with your spirit, God, allowing our ears to hear, it's not going to do a whole lot. We pray, Father, that you would do what it was intended for, God, that we would be changed, challenged in good ways, Father, rebuked if need be. Lord, you know what's needed this morning, and we thank you that your word is alive that it is powerful. God, help our hearts to be open and receptive. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. So if you guys think about it with me, it was in a garden ages ago that paradise was lost. And now it is in a garden that it is regained. I want to take a look at a quote by Philip Brooks. He said this, The great resurrection truth is not that we are to live forever, but that we may now live nobly because we are, are to live forever. 
And my th- question would be, do we live in that reality? Are we living in the resurrection truth of what Jesus did and who we are in him? I hope so. And if not, I hope eyes are open today. And if you are, I hope you are provoked this morning to do so more. So God has a word for each character in this resurrection account that's set before us and a word for each one of us this morning. What I love about all four Gospels, guys, all the accounts end with the story of the resurrection. This is central to the Christian faith. Some people get worried about the different accounts. Four different individuals given four different perspectives on what happened that day on the cross and then three days later when he rose from the dead. I love it because say a detective calls in four different witnesses and they all gave the exact same story, it usually means it's not trustworthy. Most likely there's been some collaborating that has gone on. And some people trip out. Well, why does this gospel writer give this detail and this guy left it out? Okay, Or what seems contradictory, it really isn't if you actually lay it out chronologically. It's just from four different perspectives. And I'm so appreciative that they all spoke to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the stone we're told here was not rolled away to permit Jesus to come out for he already had left the tomb. Did you guys catch that? He's gone. It was rolled back so people could see for themselves that, hey, the tomb is empty. That's why the angel rolled it back. So in John's account, we're told that they saw grave clothes lying on a stone shelf still wrapped in the shape of a body. So kind of like a cocoonish thing going on. Can you picture that in your head? That's what's going on. So the burial wrappings were so rigid by the resin and the spices that the linen cocoon actually lay intact on this stone slab. So you guys kind of got a picture of what they saw when they went in. Whoa, there's a body. No, there's not a body in there, but it looks like there was a body in there. Jesus had risen. Jesus passed through the grave clothes and left them behind as evidence that he is alive. So showing no sign of struggle, there's this napkin wrapped around the face. His face, it was folded and put in its place uh, by itself there. So really that's showing two miracles, right? The resurrection and that a man can actually fold clothes. I mean, (laughs) so... (laughs) Let's take a look at verse 5. And this really, as we consider this, we're going to look at love this morning and what love does. Okay, love casts out all fear. We know that, don't we? And we're told here in verse 5, but the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And I love that word. Anyone who's seeking Jesus should not fear. Because we are promised in Jeremiah 29, when you seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find him. There is nothing wrong with seeking Jesus. I love when people are seeking Jesus. The bummer part is when people aren't seeking Jesus. That's a fearful place to be in. So the message of the empty tomb is do not be afraid. And what's to fear when Jesus has defeated the world, the flesh, the devil, and death itself? What's there to fear? Look at a few scriptures with me. The world, 
We're told in John 16, 33, Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. Okay? If you believe in the prosperity gospel, bummer, this scripture is in the Bible. What are you going to do with it? You're going to go through it. That's what God said. I don't care what your preacher says. This is what God himself said. We're going to go through things. But he tells us to be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's the truth. In regards to the flesh in Romans 6.6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. If you are in Christ, if you've been born again, you've put your faith in him, Jesus is now your Lord, your Savior, okay? You are in him. You are a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new, and as a result of that, we get to now what? Walk in the newness of life. We don't have to sin any longer. And if you do sin, repent. I don't got to do this anymore. God's forgiven me. He's broken these chains. Walk in the newness of life. And then considering the devil in John 12, 31, now this, or this is the judgment of the world. The ruler of this world will be cast down. And we know that Satan is the God of this age. Okay? Or Satan is. He's the God of this age. But Jesus had overcome him. In death itself, Romans 6, 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Don't you guys love that? He's defeated these things, guys. So you need not to be afraid about life or death, time or eternity. We don't need to fear those things. So verse 8 goes on to say, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Now I want you to note the difference. It's not joy and great fear, but it's fear and great joy. Isn't that cool? I'm sure glad it's put that way. And also if we now note the difference between verses 4 and 5 here, the unbelieving guards shook with fear and became like dead men, okay? Whereas the angels told these believing women, don't be afraid. Man, if you're a Christian, there is nothing to be afraid of. If you're on a believer, oh boy, man, you should lose sleep over the reality of where your soul is going to go where you stand before your maker. You need to repent. That's the reality. But there's so many people that just don't even care. They don't want to think about it. And unbelievers are willing to lie. I mean, go to the point of teaching our children today that there is no God. Really. That's how far they're willing to go, just not to even to deal with it, to believe crazy lies. Yeah, there's no creator. Look at creation and say there's no creator. Go for it. I mean, that's how... Anyways, you guys get where I'm going. Um... <clears throat> What's really cool, if you guys look back to chapter 27 and verse 51, you see that word quake there? It's the exact same Greek word for shook here in verse 8. Okay, I think that's pretty cool. Um, so let's take a look um, in Luke's account for a moment. Um, but you guys get the point there? Those who seek Jesus have no need to fear. I love that. That's what verse 5 is telling us. So now Luke tells us, and he adds, then in verse 5 of chapter 24, he says, then as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth, and they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? 
He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Wow. I love it. Forgotten words come back to a fresh meaning when circumstances have changed and we have made progress in knowledge or character. I don't know if you guys have ever gone through some extreme things, okay? There's been some hard things in my life where the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has brought Scripture to remembrance. Word for word sometimes, Scriptures that I never memorized, but I read a bunch of times, like, oh, that's cool. But when the Holy Spirit brings it up in a difficult situation you may be going through, that word, wow, there's meaning now. I get what this verse is actually talking about. This is cool. Okay, that's what God often does. So, an encouragement for you parents here this morning who have had kids who have walked away from the truth. If you have stored truth in the child's mind, it is a little task for the Holy Spirit to illuminate them later in life. And that's why love casts out truth. Okay? Love casts out, sorry, fear. Because of truth. It's because of truth that we don't have to fear. But people who don't know the truth, there's much to fear. There's so many unknowns. So you guys see that? Would you agree that love casts out all fear? Absolutely. We also see, whoops, that Love changes everything. So there were many significant changes because of the resurrection. Think about all that changed that day. Sabbath. Centuries being honored on the seventh day. Then these Jewish men changed their day of worship to what? The first day of the week. Okay, well, shouldn't we keep the Sabbath? Why are we gathering on a Sunday to worship the Lord? Well, that's what they did in the early church after the resurrection. It changed everything. We celebrate the Lord's day. The day he rose from the dead. He is alive. And because he's alive, we can live also. I think about the reality of Gentiles. The Jews had been God's people. Now Gentiles, the entire world, is included. Peter even goes so far as to say in Acts 15.11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we Jewish people, okay, Hebrews, shall be saved in the same manner as they, the Gentile world. You guys understand? All people upon the world are saved only one way. And that one way is what? Jesus Christ. Period. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one no matter what race you are, gets to the Father except through Him. Period. Apostle Peter got that. Apostle Paul preached that. I love it. Also, considering the New Testament, is it all a lie if the resurrection isn't true? Because it is weaved in and out of all of the New Testament, right? If He hasn't risen from the dead, our hope is in vain. Okay. Also, there's change in the disciples. Apostles were willing to go to their death. 
if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, do you think those men would have been willing to die for a lie? No way. No way. And even the emphasis on their preaching, I mean, Christ being risen. We saw in Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts in chapter 2, verse 31 and 32, it was the emphasis. In his second sermon in Acts 3.15, again, the resurrection. In Peter's first persecution, when he is addressing the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, verse 10, it was all about Jesus being alive from the dead. And then his second persecution in Acts 5.30. And then along come Paul. Paul goes to Athens. And what's he preaching? The resurrection of Jesus Christ there in Acts 17. And then you have Paul before the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees in chapter 23. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. Before Felix. Felix! Jesus is alive! They killed him. He's risen from the dead. And then before Herod Agrippa in chapter 26 about the resurrection. Do you guys see how important the resurrection is in preaching? So, love changes everything, guys. Changes everything. We also know that love is loyal. Love is loyal. Abraham Lincoln, have you guys heard of him before? Oh, good, good. He said back in December of 1839, many free countries have lost their liberty and ours may lose hers. But if she shall be at my prudest or proudest plum, not that I was the last to desert, but that I never deserted her. Wow, think about that. Lincoln was a man of loyalty to his country, and his loyalty made him a great man. We want to look at a woman who is loyal to her Lord and became great because of it. Mary Magdalene was not the last to desert Jesus in his hour of crisis. She never deserted him at all. What a great example she is for you and I. She was not only loyal to the end, but our text here, it tells us that she was loyal beyond the end. Even after death, she maintained her loyalty to Jesus. And she was the first to come to the tomb. Wow. So Mary Magdalene, her hope was dashed. Her master, missing. Her friend, gone and her hope was in jesus he had changed her life he had cast out seven demons that she had he freed her from untold torment he had given her life a reason to live a place in his kingdom worth dignity understanding compassion love hope and now that hope lies at the bottom of her heart. But as love brought her to the cross, now love draws her to the grave. And the woman who was once, or this woman who was once possessed with demons finds herself now where? In the presence of and conversing with angels. I think that's pretty cool. I want to add a little PS here. She was not a reformed harlot. There's a lot of confusion that started back in 591 by Pope Gregory the Great. I don't think he's that great, but he likened her to the 
woman in Luke 7. Obviously not a Bible scholar. Very confused. It's not the same woman. Study it out yourself. I don't know what he's talking about. You know, it's a bummer. It continues even to 1973 in Jesus Christ Superstar. Seven demons, okay, but a moral woman, there's no evidence of that anywhere in Scripture. Mary Magdalene loved her Jesus. He changed her life forever, casted out seven demons, freed her from untold torment, gave her life, gave her reason to live, a place in his kingdom, worth, dignity, understanding, and compassion, love and hope, guys. Love is loyal. We see love obeys. Here, the Christian life really can fall into four commands. Okay? Come, see, go, tell. Okay? Come. I think this is the greatest word in all of the gospel. Right? Come. Let us reason together, says the Lord in Isaiah 1, 17 and 18. Come. See where I live. Come. <laughs> or don't, don't forbid the children to come to me, Jesus said. I mean, we see that invitation over and over again in the Gospels. I love it. And then secondly, see, okay? Check it out. Perceive. Good by sight. Better by insight. And then there's the go. As you go. Or on the go. Always as you're going. And then we see the tell, right? The good news, the gospel, tell it. Those are the commands, guys. So we have women first seeing the empty tomb. Women first seeing the living Lord. Women first heard loving words. Women first told joyful news. So this tell, these women were the first preachers of the resurrection. I think that's pretty cool. So the rest could only share what? Death and burial. That's all they could speak to. Really, we should look at verse 9. There's so much here. I mean, they took hold of his feet. Okay? This is no apparition or hallucination. Jesus is physically alive. In the November 5th edition of La Republica, guys, this was just last week, in an introduction to a new book, Scalfari states that Pope Francis said he, speaking about Jesus, was a man until he was placed in a tomb by a woman who recomposed his body. That night in the tomb, the man, speaking of Jesus, disappeared and came forth from the grotto in a semblance of a spirit that met the women and the apostles while still preserving the shadow of a person. And then he definitely disappeared. A billion people call themselves Catholics. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Do you guys get what the Pope's saying here? Jesus didn't really bodily resurrect from the dead. 
He was a spirit. What does the word of God say in regards to salvation? What must a person do to be saved? I want us to look at a couple verses here in Romans chapter 10 together. Look at verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart, so this is where the belief comes in. You're going to confess, you're going to believe. What do you need to believe? Well, it goes on to tell us what we must believe. That God, not these women coming together and doing something, God raised him, Jesus, from the dead. You will be saved. The Pope does not believe this, guys. Question is, why are a billion people following a man who's not saved? The Bible says you must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. For, verse 10, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I think of the Gospel of John in chapter 21. You guys remember when Jesus said to the woman, do not cling to me? Okay? It is possible for us really to miss the best in the Lord while holding on to the good. He has risen from the Lord bodily. They touched him, guys. Even doubting Thomas got to touch and see for himself the risen Lord. It wasn't some spirit being, guys. Jesus really did overcome sin, hell, and death. He rose from the dead. You see, guys, when Mary was, or not to continue clinging to him, but to bear his message to the apostles. That's what God wants for us to. Because he is risen, we have something to share with the world, guys. Because he's really risen. I don't know what the Pope's sharing with the world. He doesn't believe the Lord had really risen from the dead. There's a lot of other things I could share with you that he said. But my heart grieves for the Catholic Church. They're being misled. I believe we're living in the last days. The Bible talks about an antichrist that will come. And there's going to be a false prophet that comes alongside him. Some religious man that's going to deceive the nations. And I often wonder if that will be a pope. Obviously, very deceived. Obviously, has the attention of the world as an authority of religion. But let me tell you what, guys, I don't care what man thinks, and I hope you guys don't care what man thinks. What does God say? Let God be true and every man a liar. And if the Bible says Jesus rose from the dead bodily, we're going to believe the word of God. Amen? So, I think this is suggestive to you and I. It is very special to see Jesus' tomb. If you get to go to Israel... Yet we're not simply to linger about the shrine of the resurrection, but we're going to declare the fact of it. We get to preach his life, death, resurrection. 
So if you really look and camp on verse 9 for a moment, the women met Jesus, the women heard Jesus, the women worshipped Jesus. In verse 11, the women obeyed Jesus. Love obeys. We also know that love follows. Jesus met them, we're told in verse 9, on the way. You'll always meet Jesus on the path of obedience. He's always going to be there. Oh, there you are. I was wondering where you were. Some people have shared with me often, I once was close to the Lord, but I just don't feel him, sense him, walk with him, know him anymore. Well, what happened? Where was the disconnect? And I think it's really good for you and I, if there's ever a moment in life where you feel the disconnect or you're not at peace anymore with God, think back to the last moment that you were at peace with God and figure out what's happened between then and now. What's going on? Because there's been a disconnect somehow. Okay, Repent. Return to your first love. And do it quicker than later. Okay, Most of us, it's hard to go moment by moment. You know? It's just like, hey, what, what just happened? <laughs> you know, Man, don't let time go on. Because let me tell you what, it's easy. Well, yeah, it's just, you know, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it'll come back around. My relationship will get right again. And you just continue on in your own stuff. And how many people have we seen just totally fall out of fellowship? Brothers and sisters that were once seeking the Lord diligently in love, being like these women out sharing the good news because the grace of God had found them. Okay, where are they today? What are they doing? Why isn't there any ministry happening anymore? Well, there was a disconnect along the way and that was never addressed. It was never taken care of. So love obeys, love follows. As you guys go, we need to be living a missional life. So where do you go? Where are you going after church today? Are you going to be on mission? Are you going to be on mission at work tomorrow? As you go. We're to live a missional life. So he's going before you, we're told. So where do you need him to go before you? Or where would you like to be assured that he'll be there waiting? Or where do you need to know he's been there first? There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 that I so appreciate. Okay, it speaks about Christ being our forerunner. Think about that with me this morning for a moment. Jesus, okay, who is alive, our great high priest, okay, he's gone before us. He's a forerunner. So Jesus, our forerunner, our trailblazer, pioneer, guide, scout, leader, the one who opened the way, okay, I see this image of Jesus, okay. How many of you guys have ever done some rock climbing? Scares the heck out of me. I would do it if I knew there was good rope and I knew that the anchors into the rock were secure. I would probably do it. How many guys would do it if you knew you were all set up good? Okay, good. You're, you're scared like me. All right. <laughs> but I picture Jesus in a picture of rock climbing as being that forerunner, okay, with, say, a mountain climbing team. He goes ahead, he anchors those pitons into the rock, 
okay, where those metal spikes come out that they can attach the ropes to. So at salvation, picture this. We have clipped our carabiners onto his rope of salvation, and we get to follow behind progressively onward and upward with faith and patience. So faith is when the anchors to a, <laughs> anchors to a place out of our sight, right? The anchor's there. We may not see it, but it's secure. It's really there. So picture it just up over the rock. <laughs> it's going to be there. But will I keep going? Am I going to keep climbing? I'm going to keep trusting Jesus. You see, Jesus has gone first through the veil into his Father's presence. And though we don't see it yet, we're climbing close behind, guys. This life's but a vapor. Okay? Who knows? Jesus might come back today and we'll all be with him. Who knows, all right? Could be today. But you can't be in a hurry when you're climbing. I know a lot of Christians, hey, I got been saved! <laughs> you know? And now, it's a marathon, right? No, I'm sprinting! What are you taking your time for? You old lazy saint! You know, get moving! There's things to get done! No, we're in a marathon, guys. Okay? And I picture... In the reality of climbing, okay, you can't be in a hurry, right? You might slip and fall, hurt yourself. Every step and grip, they better be calculated. So we are anchored with his pitons, and we can make sure that there's going to be progress. So you guys just faithfully follow and pray. What next, Lord? What's my marching orders today, Lord? What's the next step here? And that's how we follow, guys. One step at a time. So love follows. Love also continues. They must not have expected his resurrection, for they brought spices to complete the anointing that Joseph and Nicodemus had begun. We're told in Mark's account, chapter 16, verse 1, they brought spices aroma perfumes or oils and since embalming wasn't part of the jewish custom these aromatic perfumes were poured on a body to help with the stench the decay right but this is also done an expression of loving devotion as we would bring flowers to a grave so her faith had failed but her love outlived faith held fast. Love lives still as faith and hope lie crushed in the grave. Makes me think of the last verse of the love chapter. You guys know which chapter I'm talking about in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 13, right? And now abide faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is, it's love. Think about that, guys. It's love. That's what keeps us. We love him because he first loved us. And there's times that we may doubt and our faith may waver. We're losing hope. But what keeps us going? It's the greatest of these. It's love. Man, God, you love me. You died for me. You gave everything for me. And I love you back. And love's a verb. We keep doing something. 
Even though the hope may be gone, we keep going. And that's the beauty of knowing the Word of God, being able to trust Him and love Him despite whatever's going on. We know the love of Christ. It's been revealed to us. So we are part of this great story, guys. It's unfolding right before us. So we don't, we don't tell a, a completed story. You see, at the beginning of the book of Acts, think about this, Luke, he wrote it, right? He says that in his first volume, he recorded all that Jesus began to do. Okay? And then the history of the church is what Jesus continues to do. That's what we see in the book of Acts. What is God still doing in his church, through his church? That is how he's, do you guys not know that you are the temple of the living God? It's not you individually, it is the church believers. Okay? Doesn't matter what denomination you are. Are you born again? And if you are, you're a part of his church. And it's through his church that he is moving and doing, guys. It's so cool to think about. So we look back at these first disciples like Mary and Mary Magdalene here. Our role is to live a constant character or characters in this line of an unfolding story. God's still doing, think about it, it's 2,000 years since the resurrection, right? Is God still doing things? Absolutely, okay? Last few weeks, we've had people getting saved here on Sunday mornings. That's pretty exciting. God's bringing in people. They're actually broken, actually seeking, actually open to the truth. And they're giving their lives to Jesus Christ. They're being changed. Is God still doing stuff? He's doing stuff in little Kakana, Wisconsin. Okay? And let me tell you what, it's nothing compared to what God's doing in some parts of the world. Because we here, we're still really full of ourselves. There's people who'd rather hang out at a bar than come to church. I mean, that's the truth of what's going on in our own backyard here. We're very prideful people. I have my religion. Leave me alone. I don't want any relationship with God. We have right across the street, literally, a couple hundred yards, we're lying to our children across the street, telling them there's no God. That's us. That's Kakana. But you guys know revival's breaking out like crazy in China, in Africa, in India. Radical revivals. Almost 60 million believers in China today. Christianity's outlawed there. How's that happening? Really? Yeah. Think about it. God is still on the move, guys. Why? Because people are broken. They're humble. They see their need of a Savior. So, we can be part of this story, guys. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. So what is old in your life? Sin, sickness, pain, suffering, grief, heartaches. But think about what's happened because of Christ rising from the dead. He's opened up for us a new path because he lives, we can live also. So what's new in Christ? Well, we have forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, a new creation, New birth by faith, new nature, a new heart, new life, new hope, new task, 
And finally, a new body and a new home called heaven. I can't wait. Okay? Had a headache for a few weeks. It'd be wonderful to have a new body right now. Boop! Headache just gone. You guys ever really ill and you finally find relief? Okay? That's not even going to compare to the moment we're finally in glory with Jesus. It would be so much better than that. I can't wait. But that's our blessed hope. Some people really trip out over illnesses or the things that befall us in this life. This life is but a vapor, guys. We have eternity in glory with Christ. Why? Because he loves us. Because he is risen. And this is our last thought for this morning. Love does not seek its own. Okay? You guys can look at verse 12 here. Um, for a Roman soldier, I think a lot of you guys know this, but if he failed in his duty, okay, it was an offense that would be punishable by death. That's the reality that they lived in. You guys can jot down a couple references. Acts 12, 19 says, but when Herod had searched for him, speaking about a Peter, okay, um, they didn't find him. He examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. You guys didn't do your job. You didn't find Peter. You're dead. We also read in Acts 16, 27 and 28, the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeing the prisoner doors open. You guys remember Paul set free there? Okay. Supposing that the prisoners had fled, did Paul take off? No, he was still there. He drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. He knew that he was going to be killed and he was willing to commit suicide. I'm going to die anyways. Okay. That was the understanding for them. So, if we look at verse 13, supposing the body of Jesus was stolen, if it was stolen by friends, think through this with me, his friends and followers who thought he was dead and gone would have broken the Roman seal, rolled the enormous stone uphill, somehow squeezed Jesus out of the cocoon, the cocoon linen cloths there, right? And took uh, time to place the headpiece nicely and carried him out without any of the Roman guards noticing that this was going on. I've actually talked with people who told me that. It's ridiculous that someone, anyways, pray people's eyes be open. Anyways, if it was stolen by the enemies, which some say, they could have easily produced the body to shut down that whole resurrection story. Yeah, we stole the body. And here it is. Here's Jesus' body. And if they were sleeping, how did they know what happened when they took the body? Right? We were sleeping and this is what happened. How do you know? I mean, just be logical in what's going on here. But the point is, love doesn't seek its own. And it's very interesting, guys. They could see the evidence of the resurrection, but it, not, it didn't change their lives. The resurrection could be proven. Historically, prophetically, okay? It's just one of the greatest known facts of history. It can't even be disputed among scholarly circles. Okay, there's so much evidence for it. But, okay, it didn't change their lives. They needed a meeting with the living Christ. That's what had to happen. And that's what we saw happen in verse 9 here. They actually met the risen Lord. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Is the same true today, brothers and sisters? 
Absolutely. The same is true today. Have you had a meeting with Jesus Christ, the risen Lord? Well, I don't know if he does that. Does he really make? Yeah. He's meeting with people. We're told, and again, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? The three are one. And part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, is at work today in the entire world. Not just in a church setting, but he is convicting or convincing the world of truth. That's what he's doing. I believe that God meets with every single person upon this planet. And there's something in a heart that says, yeah, I receive this. I will seek. I want to know you, my creator. And there are those hearts who say, no, I want nothing to do with you. I have a God already. If you think about Easter morning, it was the Father's audible amen to the claims, all the claims of Jesus Christ. It declares God's acceptance of his sacrifice. It reveals our power for life. It assures us of a present friend and it anticipates our future glory. So I think it's cool when we consider Christianity. Christianity then is trust in a person. It's not just a faith. It's a person. It's God himself, Jesus Christ, a living person, a present person, a powerful person. Do we live in that reality? To know Jesus Christ, the sufferings of Christ, Paul the Apostle would write, and the power of his resurrection. Do you guys desire that? There's a newness of life. We get to do life with God. And that's my prayer for you guys, Freedom Fellowship. That we would be able to move on from, hey, we're a good Bible teaching, maturing believers. We're doing for the kingdom. I want us to be those disciples that are encountering our God on a regular basis, that are doing life together with Him, that we're experiencing not, I have to, but I get to. No, I give, but no, I want to be generous because my Father is generous and we're on a mission. And I want to sacrifice and give all I have. I get to live for him. That's what God wants, guys. And if you're putting trips on yourselves as a follower, I got to keep doing, I got to keep doing. You're missing the heart of the gospel. You're missing the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. He's alive. He loves us. He is there for us. He wants to do it with us. That's what we get to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you stand to your feet and we'll close to prayer together. Well, Father, we are grateful this morning that we get to stand together here before you and knowing that you are alive 
that you are on the move, that you are working in and through us, your church. And we're grateful for that. We're blessed to be a part of what you're up to in these last days. There's so much that you're doing. Lord, even in our own community where it seems like we've totally rebelled, God, you're still drawing people to yourself. They're getting saved. People are seeking. It's exciting. Lord, and we want to be light. We want to be instruments of your grace. We want to be doing what you're doing. So we just would pray, Father, that you give us wisdom to see where you're working, what you're up to, that we, can, that we get to be a part of it. Lord, that we would engage in your mission. We thank you so much, Father, because you do live, that we can live nobly, because you are alive. Thank you so much for all that you've done and that you backed up all your claims. We wouldn't even be here this morning if you didn't rise from the dead. And God, I would pray and ask, Lord, for any here today, God, who've been in a place of weighing out whether you are Lord or not, whether they want to follow you, Jesus, that they would see clearly their great need of you, that you are who you claim to be, God, that you are the Lord and the Savior of all. But you've asked us to bow the knee. That's on us. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us choice. You've allowed us, Lord, to partner with you. Thank you so much, God, for all that you're doing. I do pray, Father, that you'd help us to be present in the moment. God, yeah, there's a lot we can be doing and working on. But help us just to discern and know what you're doing right now and just moment by moment throughout the day because we know you're alive and you're on the move. And thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.